You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, good morning. Uh, stoked to gather and worship with you guys and just excited to be the church gathered on Sundays and uh, be with you. So thanks for joining us. If you're new here, welcome and uh, glad to have you. So we are uh, going through the book of Mark on Sunday mornings. So why don't you open with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be covering the last half of that chapter this morning. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. So it's a sizable chunk. Um, And there's kind of two things going on in one story that we're going to read, pray over, kind of dissect a bit, um, and figure out what God is doing, what is it for us, and how does it apply, and what can we take away from that. And so uh, Mark 5, starting in 21, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, might be different than yours. You can share with someone next to you or uh, have it on the PowerPoint. Or uh, as you come in, there's Bibles there. That, that is New Living Translation. So if you want to grab one of those every Sunday or take it with you and have it at home, totally cool to do that. But uh, let's see here. Without further ado, Mark 5, 21 through 43 says this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal with many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. She had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Verse 30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said, Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? This child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother with his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. 
And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you've given it to us and preserved it for us and that we can freely in this place read it and study it and see you in it. And Lord, as we see this narrative of the interactions, Jesus, that you had with this young girl and with this woman and how you healed her and how you raised this little girl from the dead, we ask God that we would see you in it, that we would hear your voice, that we would see your leading in our own lives, that you would use this story to speak to us concerning our own lives and our own loved ones and our own conditions. And God, we pray that you would quicken our heart and our ears to your word, that you would free us from distractions, free us from the things which so easily entangled us. And we pray that our focus and our eyes would be fixed upon you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we pray in advance that you would give us much faith, that we would be as the people in the story today, that we just believe that you are the God that is able to heal and raise people from the dead and that you are all-knowing and all-powerful and that you are a great and awesome God. Would you give us great faith to trust in your will, in your word, in how you lead and how you guide and how you direct our lives and the things you do and don't do in our lives, we say, God, that your way is better than our way. And we trust you. And so we, we, we pray that we would have the faith for these things today as we look into your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna first just, you know, kind of give a brief overview and kind of summarize what's happening and then from that look into some things that we can glean, that we can get from this text. So obviously, if you were here last week, the story this week picks up where we left off. And so last week, uh, well, actually two weeks ago, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. The storm came. He calmed the storm. He kept going. He got to the other side of the bank of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And last week, we saw that uh, Jesus interacted with this demon-possessed man. He cast out the demon. And right after that, he gets back in the boat. And we pick up the story here today. And Jesus sails right back where he came from. He goes straight back to most likely Capernaum or that area um, where the synagogue would have been. He arrives and this leader of the synagogue uh, comes up and he says, like, teacher, rabbi, I've, been, I've seen you heal. I know that you can. My daughter is sick. Please come lay your hand on her so that she can be healed. And he does. He's on his way to Jairus' house. And, you know, a crowd is there, and there's this other woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. She has this condition um, that it says here she's gone to every doctor. She spent all the money she has. It hasn't helped at all, but she knows that if she only gets near to Jesus, she'll be healed. And so she's pushing her way through the crowd, just, just hoping and praying and believing that Jesus, no one else on the planet can heal her. She's for years tried. She's only gotten worse. But if only she can reach Jesus, 
she'll be healed. She had the faith to believe that, and so she pushes through the crowd. He just touches her cloak, and in the moment, we see that she's healed, and Jesus, like, feels it, and it's different than just someone bumping up against him. He, it's this kind of weird interaction, but it says, like, his healing power, like, the ability to heal sickness was, like, given to this girl. So the power and authority of sickness uh, came upon this girl with great faith, and then there's, like, he's looking around in the crowd asking, like, who was that? Who, who, who touched me? Who, who did that? And the disciples are like, how can you ask that? Jesus, there's a big crowd. Why are you even concerned about that? But he stops the crowd. He finds the girl and they have this interaction and her faith has made her well. Her suffering is over. It's this like incredibly dramatic and compassionate scene where, where this girl's suffering that she's been suffering for years with this condition is healed in a moment in the presence of God. But in the meantime, this interaction's happening. And this little girl, the synagogue leader's daughter, is at her house, and, and she passes away. She dies. And, you know, the people come, and they say, hey, there's no need to bother Jesus. There's no need to bother the teacher. The little girl's passed away. And Jesus overhears them, and he says, no, 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 no. I need, still need to go to the house. And they go to the house. And, he, and, and he, we just read the scene, but he clears the whole house. He takes the father and mother, just with a few of the disciples, a real intimate moment. And he speaks over this girl, the, the fact that he, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And she, as, as we saw, very much rises from the dead. I mean, she was dead and now she is alive. And Jesus even so sweetly, kindly says, hey, go get her something to eat. And so there's, there's this dramatic scene, right? He, I mean, everywhere Jesus goes, like, God is moving, his kingdom is coming. And what we see in this story today is the first thing that we see is we see God's character. Like, we see his heart and his attributes in the person of Jesus. Like, we see the father heart of God in Jesus the Son, and if you remember, the whole book of Mark is actually a compilation of Peter's eyewitness accounts. So the apostle Peter that was brought into that room with that little girl, he wrote down, he journaled all these things that have happened. And Mark, he, he compiled all of Peter's eyewitness accounts and he wrote it in this gospel narrative. And so when we're reading Mark, these are actually Peter's eyewitness accounts of Jesus which he wrote down. And so what we see is we see a very up close and personal view of Jesus because Peter was the first to be called, the first disciple. He was with Jesus throughout everything. I mean, he ate with him. He slept next to him. He was, he was in the room with this little girl. And so we get an up close and personal view of God. Right? We see his actions and his miracles and his teachings. And what we understand from scripture is that Jesus is God. And as God in the flesh, we see God the Father's tangible, excuse me, intangible and ethereal character coming into light firsthand. Like, right, all the things that the Old Testament would talk about who God was is now being seen firsthand. Right, like the compassion and the love and the care and the power of God are being seen firsthand in people's living rooms. Right, the God that created everything, that parted the Red Sea, that defeated armies, that provided the manna in the wilderness. I mean, this God that's been very far off and ethereal is now in their midst and they can reach out and touch it. 
I mean, it's incredible what is happening. And Mark is this eyewitness account of Jesus being God and God's character coming out and and interacting with humanity. I mean, literally, physically in contact with humanity, the God that created the universe. The book of Hebrews tells us um, the amazing distinction uh, and difference with Jesus compared to any other way God has ever revealed himself to humanity. So God's, God's being shown, right, to humanity through Jesus right now. And the, and the author of Hebrews, he makes a distinction of why Jesus and, and the difference of God revealing himself in Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, it's describing, you know, the past, the Old Testament. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, right? All the biblical prophets we see in scripture like Isaiah. God spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact represent, representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That idea there that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being or of his nature literally means imprint, a copy of something. And so when you see Jesus, you see God. It's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is completely God and he's also completely man. But in the person of Jesus Christ, we see an exact representation of God the Father. And so again, in this incredible interaction on the shore of the Sea of Galilee today, we see firsthand the heart of the Father. Like, like in the midst, we see God ending suffering and caring and loving and extending compassion to humanity. Like we see the mercy and grace of God ending years of suffering for this woman. Like this, this woman was suffering for more than a decade and no one could do anything about it but God could. And he did in a moment. He ended her suffering. He turned her mourning into dancing. And not only that, we see that he brought a little girl back to life again. I mean, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what God is doing. The kingdom of God is coming. And it's sweeping through these people's lives. And people are experiencing the, the incredible mercy and grace and unconditional love of their God. That's why the Gospels, you know, for us, like the Gospel of Mark, as we study it each week, can be so rich for us because we get Jesus, like, up front and personal right away. And when we see Jesus interacting, I mean, we really see him interacting in every way with every type of people in every type of situation. And that's what we have seen, and that's what we will see And when we see this, in doing that, we see the heart and the will of God, the creator, and God, the heavenly Father, displayed in all of humanity. 
That's why Jesus was and is a big deal. Because he's God in the flesh. Colossians 2.9 says it just really straightforward. He says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity or God the Father dwells in bodily form. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And that is so apparent that we in this story this morning see the father heart of God meeting humanity. But also in our text today, the second thing is very obviously is the power of God over sickness and disease and even death itself. And this is, this is very relevant for us because we also struggle. We also are concerned. We also are involved and deal with these same things. Even though this was in a culture far different of ours 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world, their problems are equally the same as ours. We all struggle personally, we will, or we know people that are really struggling with these things. But we see firsthand that Jesus Christ has authority over them. And he has the power to heal them. He has the power to take away sickness with a touch and with a word as if it's no big deal. Even death itself that we think might be the final blow, he's able to overcome that. Death no longer has any sting, the New Testament would say. And this story we read today is in a greater story that we've been in right now. Two weeks ago, it was Jesus calming the storm, and that proved to us that Jesus had power over nature, over storms, over anything that nature could bring. Jesus could calm it in a moment. And we related it to our own storms. Like Jesus is able to overcome any storm that we may encounter or be in. Last week we saw that Jesus had power even over the spiritual realm, over the devil, over demons, over all the evil in this world. Anything that, that, that involves that, that Jesus has the power in the moment to end it. He can cast out demons. He can stop the work of the devil. There is nothing that our God cannot do. That's what we've been seeing. If it's over nature, it's over the spiritual realm. Today we see that even over sickness, disease, and death in itself, that God has the final say. He has the ultimate authority that it's not too big, it's not too hard, it's not too scary, it's not too progressed. It's nothing is outside of God's authority and power to overcome. The fact is that Jesus can heal any sickness and raise from the dead. This isn't just a nice story in ancient Israel 2,000 years ago. It's not just a thing that we read about and God, you're cool, you did that once and you're good. Or like that was you then and now you're different now. See, a fundamental belief that I hope we can all agree to is that us as Christians living in the 21st century or in any time since Christ is that God is unchanging. Like he doesn't change. He wasn't one thing 2,000 years ago and now he's different. Like he lost his power or he changed his mind or his heart or his character changed over time. This is a fundamental belief, fundamental theological belief in scripture is that God is unchanging. 
Hebrews would also say this. Hebrews 13.8 would say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or in other words, James 1.17 would say, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is a God that heals, and God is a God that has the ability to heal. Then and now. Like, he does not change. He doesn't lose things. He's not, like, not capable. It's not that he doesn't want to. Like, he is the same. The same God we see in the word, in the gospel, in Galilee, is the same God that we have today. And that's why, you know, it's mine, it's reality's belief that things like the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. I... That's a battle. I don't want to go there. But <laughs> they're for today. It doesn't say they stop. There's no reason to them, for them to stop. God's word is for us and as much relevant today than it was then. God still performs miracles. He still heals sickness and diseases. And God still can raise from the dead. If you have trouble with the last one, the raising from the dead, you're going to have trouble with the gospel itself because that's what Jesus did. That is the basis and foundation of our faith is that God can raise from the dead and has the power to overcome death. That's why you and I can stand here hopeful that we'll be with Christ in eternity is because we share in his victory over death. If that didn't happen, then when we die, we died and we wouldn't work. The gospel doesn't work without resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 Paul goes into depth about the importance of the resurrection from the dead in order for us to even have Christianity. I don't know everyone's experience here. Um, I'm, I've ho I hope that you've witnessed this in your own lives or in your family's lives, but I have countless testimonies that I firsthand have seen God supernaturally heal people. Like, it's actually a thing. It's not weird. It happens, like arms and backs and ears and eyes, the list goes on. Like, I've seen it. Like, in faith, we pray and God moves and people are supernaturally healed. Or in God's economy, it's not supernatural, that's natural. Right, we, we, we sometimes say that, I say it all the time, like, oh God, we pray that you supernaturally do this. He's like, that's what I do. Why is it supernaturally? That's my nature. By nature, this is who I am, I'm God. I don't know if you've seen this, but I have, and I will stand here and testify that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he can do it. He is able to, in a moment, heal and set free and make right everything that we think is impossible, or there's no hope, right? Or, there's, or, or we've been told, or we, like this, this woman had gone to every doctor. She spent everything she had, and she had no hope. But then there's Jesus, but she forgot about Jesus. Actually, she didn't forget about Jesus. She went straight to Jesus, and Jesus healed her. I personally have not seen someone physically raised from the dead. I know their stories. I know that Jesus can. He did it. And he can. Jesus has the same power that he did then. He has the same heart, and nothing has changed. 
But what we see in our story, in our narrative today, is that faith is a key component, right? For Jairus and for the women, their faith in who Christ was and Christ's ability was everything, right? Because they sought Christ to heal. They sought Christ in a crowd. They went out of their way to present his daughter or present herself to Jesus because they believed that he could, they believed he could heal them. They believed Christ was the answer. They trusted in his abilities to do miracles in their own lives. And what we see here and what we'll see over and over in scripture is that their faith made them well. Their faith, their belief, their trust in, despite not feeling like it, despite, not, despite being told different, despite the, the, the tangible circumstances not adding up, they believe that God could. They believe that God could, and he did. See, faith is trusting in God's power, his character, and his ability. It's believing in his promises and asking God for them to come to pass. Like, that's faith. It's, it's, it's believing that God can and asking him and trusting that he's able to. So in our story, everyone, the woman, Jairus' daughter, was healed and did not die. This is where the third and final point comes into our study. Because for each and every one of us, most likely we have seen the opposite happen. Right, we pray and sickness and disease don't go away. And for some of us, we've lived through the hardest one where a loved one is dying and we pray and they don't live. That is, that is true. That is, that is, that's happened. We, I'm sure we have experienced this. And this is what we, we need to drill down and we need to go into today. And I know it's going to be deep. This is going to be hard, but it's only right that we look into and dig into the fact, the truth, that God is sovereign and God's will is perfect. This is where it gets very real. Because we all have thought, or maybe we've all wrestled, uh, and some of us really struggle with the fact that God allows not to heal, and God doesn't always allow people to live longer. I'm almost, I'm almost positive that all of us have either wrestled with this or we personally have wrestled with this idea that how does this happen? God, how do you allow this to happen? Or why didn't you? Right, because if you're able to, God, that's what the Bible says, you're able to, in a moment, do anything. You know, this is the hardest question and topic that humanity and believers can tackle. It goes further than even like, why does evil exist in the world? It goes further than like, why does God allow evil to continue? When it comes to a loved one, when it comes to a very personal experience, this is the hardest topic we can tackle. It's the hardest one. It's way harder than why do you allow natural disasters? It's way harder than why does evil exist? When it comes to someone near to us. It's when the, the stories we see in Mark today don't happen for us. See, what, what happened in Mark is true. 
God is able to do those things in a moment. I've seen him, God's word over and over testifies that God is able to heal. But sometimes the opposite can happen for us. And for some of us, it can be way more personal than others. And I, I'm sorry for that today. I mean, it's, it's really hard a bit for some in this room today. I personally have had to live with a really dear, close friend, um, little girl passing away. And also, uh, this past Friday night, I, um, I witnessed firsthand at the ICU at Queens. So Friday night, putting the kids to bed, and I get a call from a friend, that a, a friend of theirs, friend of a friend, had had a uh, really bad accident um, while snorkeling in Shark's Cove on the North Shore. Um, the woman, the wife, had hit her head and drowned, and they rushed her to Queens. And, um, you know, it was their 25th wedding anniversary. They were just here, and this horrible event happened, and the husband uh, asked for a pastor to come pray, pray for his wife and pray for just the situation and God to heal. So um, jumped in the car. I called Uncle Butch to come with me um, to go pray. And as we entered the room, there's this husband that's just, you know, obviously crying, losing it over his wife, over what's happened. You know, she's on life support and she's in the ICU. And, you know, we, we pray. And, uh, you know, we have faith to believe. We, we trust in God's abilities. Like, we have faith to believe that he can do this. Like, God, you can heal. Despite odds, like, you can do this. And right after we get done praying, um, the woman passes away. And the physician comes in and, you know, um, they, pronounce, they pronounce her. And we stayed there a few hours grieving with him and helping him and um, just being there. And it's, you know, probably one of the heaviest things I've witnessed um, just because of the nature and the quickness and everything, right? Everything you can imagine. It's worst case scenario. It's like the worst case scenario. Uh, utterly heartbreaking, devastating, terrible, horrible. They both were believers. So... So they have hope, all right, right? We have hope and peace that she is with God, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, that is everything. We believe that. But still, what I just witnessed is opposite of Mark 5. I mean, it's stark opposition. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's the exact opposite of what we're looking today. I just witnessed firsthand on Friday night. So how do we navigate this? Like, how do, you, how do you reconcile that? How do I, how do we, how do you, how does the husband, right? We have to land. And despite the, the heartbreak that God's timing, his will is right, perfect, and better than ours. We have to land there. We have to trust that God knows best, that his plans are bigger and they're better than ours. We have to trust in God's character that God is a God that is full of love, grace, and mercy, and he cares deeply about his children, and that doesn't change. Like, we have to land there. But it's not easy to get there for a long time. And when something absolutely tragic has happened, it's a very long struggle, and some don't get over that. 
Some Some don't find reconciliation. And you know what I'm talking about. Some don't reconciling why God didn't, why God allowed. It's a real struggle. And when something like that happens, everything in you is tested. Your belief system, the foundation of God's will and God's ability and God's character is tested. What helps to understand God's will is to try and remember his priorities and his goals and not our own. Like like for us, this life and our health and and when and how we die can be paramount for us. Right, it can be anything. I mean, most of humanity doesn't know the Lord. And so this is the only thing that matters. Like, this is it. And for even Christians, that can be true for us. Like, you know, like when it comes to what happened, that can be everything for us. But for God, it's not. Like, that's not God's priority or ultimate goal. See, God is outside of time and space. He's preexistent. He's always been, and he'll always, he always will be. His goal was never this life on earth for us. Like, it, it just wasn't. It's far greater than that. See, God's goal has always been and will always be to be with us for all of eternity. Us with him has always been his chief purpose and design. And it always will be. God wants to be with us. From the very beginning, we see this in the garden, like everything is good. God made everything. And he says, it's very good. And then he realizes man's alone. He's like, that's not good. Let's give him a woman. And there's this perfect world. Like there's this, everything is perfect. God is with them. There's no sin. And then sin enters and it wrecks everything in the midst of perfection. Right, sin mars, changes, destroys, corrupts, and everything falls apart. And disease and death are results of that. Like, they are results of the fall. It was not God's intention and purpose to allow humanity to go through all this heartbreak. Death is not natural. It's unnatural because it wasn't supposed to happen. Like, it's not supposed to happen. And so when someone passes, the reason why it is so hard and unnatural and feels like this should not be happening is because it shouldn't. That is not God's heart or intention, but it is a product of the fall. But God's ultimate goal is communion with us in this present temporary life. Like he wants to be with us here and now, but he also desires for all of eternity to be with us. The Bible, what we, what we make this life to be, the Bible talks about it as a vapor or a mist. That it's here and gone tomorrow. We think, how can that be? It's our whole life. It's everything that we know. But God's like, I'm outside of time and space. It's about eternity with me. You're just there for a moment. And what we have to know and we have to land on is that there is nothing outside of God's knowledge or his ability or his control. It's not like something can happen and God's like, oh, wait a sec, I didn't know it was happening. 
There's, no, there, there's nothing that God doesn't know about. He is intimately acquainted with all our ways. And he is able to heal. But also we know that sometimes his will is to not. But if that is true, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful and he's all-present, if it's his will not to heal, there's a plan and there's a purpose. And that's where we have to land. We have to trust in that. We have to trust that there is nothing haphazard. There is nothing that's coincidental. There is nothing just because of circumstance. There actually is nothing that God is not in knowledge of. There's nothing that catches him off guard. But it's important that we don't have one of these things without the other. This is what I mean. Both are true. God can heal, but his will is perfect. You have to hold both of these things. They aren't in contradiction to one another. They both are absolutely real, true, and concrete. What that means is that we still need to have faith, like to beseech and ask God to heal our sickness, our diseases, and we need to ask God for miracles and expect them. I mean, we need to come to God with the truth of his character and say, God, you're able to, so do it. And don't give up, like ask, seek, and not come before God and ask him for these things. But we also, at the same time, need to embrace and trust and be okay that whatever his will is and whatever happens is the best. Again, this is so much easier said than done, right? That's, I hope you know this. This is so much easier said than done. I realized that. I just lived through it on a Friday night. And even in that moment, I, you, can't, you can't really even say these things appropriately and accordingly. But this is something that needs to be prayed over and exercised and tested and tried, and it will be. I mean, it's, it's learned, it's grown, it's... This is a real challenge and a real struggle constantly, this idea that, God, you're able to, but God, I know if you choose not to, I, I, I want to be okay with that. Those, the ability to live those out in your lives in a very personal level is really hard to do, and it needs to be prayed over and asked God for the faith to have. I want to remind us, as we kind of wrap up right now, of Christ. I want to remind us of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of the crucifixion. Right, the night before Jesus was going to the cross, what did he do? He took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed to God the Father. He said, please let this cup pass from me. This is Jesus speaking of the cross. I mean, this is Jesus saying, God, I know how bad this is going to be. Please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He prayed it three times. I mean, you think, right, Jesus being God would, would do it differently, but there was a real human struggle that Jesus was having with the suffering that he was about to go through, and he was praying to God for it not to happen, but he, he, so that was the, the, the faithful prayer of like, God, I know you're able to not, but then he, he coupled it with, but not my will, but your will be done. But God, I trust that you're, you're perfect, your ways are better, 
and you, and you know what you're doing, and you know the time or the hour, and you're perfect, and, and God, I trust you. Right? He prayed, but his caveat always was, not my will, but your will be done. What was God's will? God's will was the cross. And despite the pain and the mocking and the ridicule and the shame, God's goal and his intention through the cross was the redemption of all humanity. Right? Like, in the moment, no one saw that. Like, especially the disciples with Jesus. They were, like, trying to stop him. They were denying him. They had no idea what was going on. They're like, why would you ever suffer? Why would you allow this to happen? You're God. Why are you enduring this suffering? Because God had a better plan. Right? His will was perfect. His ways are higher than ours. And what was the result? What was Christ raising from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the devil, offering salvation, redemption of our sins, and restoration of a relationship to all of humanity forever? Jesus himself went through this struggle in a very real way. And it was not easy. It describes that there was actually like Jesus was sweating blood in the garden. That's like a condition that happens when there's extreme stress on a person. And so what we see with the model of Jesus is that he was fully man but fully God. And he walked through Right, the hardest thing, he's, he, he walked through suffering, he walked through pain, and he did it fully trusting in God and fully believing in God's will being the best. And church, as hard or as sensitive or as um, heavy maybe as this may be, we need to be, or we need to pray or, or, or come before God and ask that we would be a church full of faith. Like full of faith, asking God for miracles. Like, and, and really believing that he can. I mean, trusting, like don't give up and, and ask God that he can do it. But simultaneously to ask God that we would have the faith and trust to be able to rest upon and say at the end of the day, not my will, but your will be done. And I believe that both of those things are true and both of those things are right and good that God is able to and God knows best. That he is our shepherd He's our good shepherd, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And he's the one, even in the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, says he's with us. God is a God that is able to heal and able to set free. And his will is perfect and good. And his ultimate goal is for you and us to be with him for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, <clears throat> we thank you for these truths today. We thank you that you're a God that created the entire universe, but at the same moment are intimately acquainted with all of our ways. That your ears are attentive to our cries, that you are near to us. And I pray specifically for those of us in this room where this is us this morning. Like we, we're dealing with these questions. We're dealing with these realities. I pray God for comfort. 
I pray for great comfort. I pray your word speaks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that we would experience that right now. God, I pray against fear. I pray against fear of the what ifs or the I don't know or the future. I pray that you would become the forefront of our thoughts and our minds, that even our emotions would be filtered through the gospel and your word. We want to submit and commit all these things to you, and we ask, God, that we would be a people that despite what happens in our lives, that we would not be moved by circumstances, but that our hope would be founded upon the rock. That you would be our cornerstone, that you would be our solid rock upon which our life stands. So even when the storms come and the wind blows and the floods come, that we will not be moved. Would you give us great hope and great joy in the midst of pain? And we would be a people that can say, as you, Jesus, said in the garden, that, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So give us great faith to believe these things. Pray that you'd heal us from bitterness, maybe, towards you, or, or a real um, concern about, you know, God, why? Pray that you'd heal us for those of us that have felt pain or are experiencing pain. Pray that you'd heal our hearts, Lord. Pray, meet with us. We need your help. So God, do that as we enter into worship now, Father. We ask that we would, you'd meet with us.